When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Shimmer's Day, October 23rd, 2023. On the show today, a little bit of news and a whole lot of listener questions. Plus, I went on a VIP tour at Universal Orlando. Then in our main segment, Jim gives us the early ideas for Epcot's Wonders of Life Pavilion. Let's get started by bringing in the man who wonders if vampires are angry all the time because they can't eat garlic bread. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len, and I have no sales resistance. For the last couple of months in my Twitter feed, there mm-hmm. has been this garlic press rocker mincer stainless steel crusher professional. I mean, again, that's the name, which is largely a search term. All right. You know, <laughs> it slices, it dices. Yeah. Well, no, it does one thing. It takes a garlic clove and it's this one handed roll it over the garlic clove and you get, you know, and it's just, I, I've had this garlic press for years that's terrible, that falls apart, that's impossible to clean. So oh, is it was the like, one that looks like a, uh, like a, uh, like a uh, two levers with a, on a hinge that squish things together. Yes, you yes. can't clean them. There's garlic in there from the Roman Empire. I am convinced. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I caved. I finally, after seeing this in my feed forever, I caved. I bought it for eight ninety five plus mm-hmm. shipping, and mm-hmm. very pleased with it. But just now, before we get started here. I made the mistake of looking for this very same tool, uh, looking up on Google, and I wasn't stupid enough to buy it at the twenty three ninety five price. No. but I could have gotten as for as low as three ninety five and or or a dollar ninety one. And I'm not saying I have buyer's remorse, <laughs> garlic press, <laughs> but at the same time, I do feel like a boob because I couldn't take that tenth of a second. That well, can I get this for can a I lower get this price cheaper? someplace? Well, you know, the the thing is too, there could be shipping charges in that. So if that makes you feel better, just just don't look. For the shipping costs, because that's how I rationalize a lot of purchases. You're not wrong, but the garlic press, rocker, mitzer, stainless steel, crusher professional, it's like... <laughs> it's going to take this clove of garlic and make it completely unrecognizable in a variety of ways. <laughs> that's all I ask of life, <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers for the show. Thanks to new subscribers, Jay Skiff, Betsy C., David Scott 606, and Tyler Dancy, and longtime subscribers, Cold Spot. Limbo 1693, JRM Canada, and Matt Malbauer. Jim, this is the Mm -hmm. Disney Park Ops team who've come up with a new discounted ticket offer called the Aladdin Nemo Pass. It makes Disney Park's visits even more affordable by getting you into attractions whose names start with the letters A through M on odd number days and attractions with names in N through Z on even number days. So for everyone visiting the Magic Kingdom today, October 23rd, enjoy everything from Astro Orbiters to meeting Mickey Mouse. And we hope to see you tomorrow on everything from Peter Pan's flight to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. True story. Oh, wow. <laughs> Those guys in ops. They are so <laughs> clever. So smart. So smart. And speaking of subscribers, uh, just a reminder, we're moving the show off of Bandcamp and onto Patreon, beginning with our show on January 1st, 2024. Visit patreon.com slash Media for more details, including, it's available now, the first episode of our new video series with Imagineer Jim Scholl, showing how Jim built the various Aladdin attractions around the world. 
We've already started moving all the exclusive shows over to Patreon, and there's an RSS feed, finally, for you guys to listen to the show. Plus, we're saving all of your names and original subscription dates for future show openings. Again, check it out at patreon.com slash jimhalemedia. All right, on to the news, which is sponsored by Touring Plans. Touring Plans can help you book your next trip. Plus, it comes with a free Touring Plans subscription. Check us out at touringplans.com slash dish. All right, Jim, I did a VIP tour at Universal this past weekend, thanks to Logan S. for guiding mm-hmm. us on the tour. And hello to, I think it was Vincent, but forgive me if I'm not right on that. Uh, one of the tour guests who said hi before the tour and who listens to the show. It made my day, man. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Jim, uh, so I've done now VIP tours at Universal and Disney. And I really like, I like them both. They're both high-quality tours. Universal's different in a, in a couple of ways. One is that they allow you up to an hour in advance to eat breakfast at a kitted breakfast before the tour starts. So I was there with a bunch of friends, including Derek Bergen uh, and Brandon, our, our photographer. And I, I showed up around 9.30. And Derek and Brandon were already on their second plate of food <laughs> by the time I got to the tour. And this was like, I mean, this is eggs and pancakes and bacon and potatoes and mm-hmm. coffee. And I mean, they were, everybody was eating, like getting the most out of it. And that's not, that Disney doesn't do that on their tours. Also, um, tours mm-hmm. fit 12 people instead of 10 at Disney. Okay. And they're eight hours long instead of seven. Okay. Okay. Also, they have um, uh, one of the interesting things about Universal's tours is when you're walking onto the rides, when you're getting walked onto the rides, you're typically or frequently walked to the actual ride load unload area. They don't just dump you in the fast pass queue and, and wait it out. And that makes it much faster to get under rides. So when we were riding Men in Black, we actually had it was a two step process. Step number one was they actually brought us into the Men in Black office, the show scene. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I love this part of the tour. And the uh, the cool thing was they were like, you can touch anything you want, you can sit anywhere you want. Don't touch mm-hmm. the aliens because it'll switch them off. So, <laughs> so you, I mean, you can go in and like type on the computers, and and there's funny stuff written on notepads and things, and you can you mm-hmm. take as many photos as you want. You can sit in the chairs, just don't touch the aliens. But then when you're done, you walk behind a set of uh, cast member only or team member only areas where they, mm-hmm. uh, where, but you end up literally at the load unload station. So there's no getting in a line or anything like that. The other thing I really liked was uh, lunches provided on the uh, on the tour as well. Again, that's not something that uh, that you see at other parks. So yeah, it was a great time. What did you get to ride over the course of it? I'm assuming you did some of the Potter stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, Men in Black, we did the new Minions Blast ride, the mm-hmm. uh, Hulk, the Harry Potter stuff. Uh, yeah, pretty much everything in two parks in a, in a day. And again, it's eight hours versus seven, so you can you have time to do everything. Yeah. That sounds like a great value. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Speaking of Universal, uh, Universal announced last week the name of their year-round Las Vegas attraction. That's a spinoff of Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, it's going to be called Universal Horror Unleashed, and it's mm-hmm. set to open at Area 15 in Vegas in 2025. So, Jim, I'm expecting more news on that as we uh, as we as we continue. Right? If you think about how good Universal has got at these temporary Halloween mazes, yeah. you know, with the boo holes and the audio and that sort of thing, but to build something permanent, yeah, to be able to move to the next level like that, that's going to be intriguing. Yeah, I mean, it'll allow them to, um, if they're building stuff that's permanent, you know, we, we would expect more and bigger effects. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Also, uh, Journey of Water, inspired by Moana, had its official opening at Epcot last week. The good news there, no waits, no virtual queues. So that's good. So the uh, the stuff that we saw during previews, 
uh, mm-hmm. in terms of lines and waiting and operational challenges did not seem to happen during official opening. So that's good. I'd love to walk through this with you. That'll be like two and three months into this thing operating. And it's always interesting at that point to see what's still on. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day about the broken effects at Rise of the Resistance. And I think the one that we all miss the most is the cannons that used to move back and forth yeah. as you walk through. And I was telling them, I'm like, this is going to be our generation's hatbox ghost. Like, I'm telling you, it worked for the first week this attraction was open. And people would be like, aww. That was an amazing moment in the show. A, a terrific kinetic. Yeah, because stuff's, stuff's moving in and out as you're going past it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they really should figure out how to get that back online. Well, I mean, the, the problem is, is, you know, if you if you have to shut down the ride even for a day to, uh, you know, to fix it, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in individual lightning lane. And, and no park executive is going to take that hit unless people really, really complain about it. So the show was designed for that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's one of the big, it's, it's the big scene, right? So. Yeah. But at the, at the same time, how long has the Yeti been in B mode? So <laughs> I should shut up now. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to listener questions. How's that, Jim? There we go. There we go. All right. Here's one from Caroline. He says, we have a park reservation for Hollywood Studios on Saturday, November 11th, which I just realized is also the opening date for the new Jollywood Nights Party. Do you think the party will reduce the daily crowd levels, similar to the Very Merry Party in the Magic Kingdom, or will it cause increased numbers all day? All right. So the uh, the effect that Caroline is talking about is this. When the Magic Kingdom has a not-so-scary Halloween party, the average crowd level for that day so far this year is a 2 out of 10. But on days when there's not a party, the Magic Kingdom's crowd level averages 7. So there's definitely a party effect in Walt Disney World around the Magic Kingdom. But I think the studios is going to be much busier on November 11th for a couple of reasons. One is it's the very first time this event is being held. So the park will be swollen with social Mm. media folks who are there to document the first event. I mean, social media by itself will cause crowds. Also, uh, the Jollywood event starts at 830, whereas Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party closes the park at 6. So there's more time in the studios. And so that means fewer people will want to bail out or not even visit the park because they're not going to be there all day, right? So in the Magic Kingdom, you know, if the park opens at at eight or nine and it closes at six, you've got nine or ten hours. Here, you've got more for the studios. You could have twelve. So, yeah. So I think the studios will be busier than the Magic Kingdom is, relatively speaking, on those first few Jollywood nights in November. Tough it out. It's worth it alone for the bragging rights of having been there for the first one. And yeah, and you don't know if it's ever going to happen again. Yeah, so to that end. Check out the Kermit and Piggy show for us, please. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's going to be a hoot. Yep. All right. Uh, listener Adam Varenti wrote in with this question. Uh, I was in Epcot last week and decided to ride Grand Fiesta Tour. It was busy and the line was wrapped around into the shopping area. When we got on the ride, I noticed we were really moving through the show scenes. Then other people in the boat were making comments about the speed. Does Park Ops increase the speed of boat rides if they know the day will be busy? All right. So... Jim, when I get stuff like this, normally I would just ask Adam how many avocado margaritas he had before going on Grand Fiesta Tour. But, yeah. but this was the second email I got last mm-hmm. week about mm-hmm. ride speed. And the other one was from listener Jillian O'Neill, who said, mm-hmm. I was most intrigued by a comment on a Reddit thread that says that the Winnie the Pooh ride in Walt Disney World has gone from three minutes to two minutes and 20 seconds in duration in just one year. Is it true? Can Disney speed up rides to increase capacity? And if so, 
Is this something they dial up and down based on park crowds? All right. So the last – we actually timed this for Winnie the Pooh, amazingly enough. Mm-hmm. We did it in 2022, and it was about three minutes last year. And I went back and looked at um, online video of the ride-through of Winnie Pooh, the Pooh going back five and seven years, and it's about the same, like within a few seconds. So, you know, given given one or two starter stops, you know, for you know loading or unloading – People, it's about it was about the same in 2022 as it was in previous years. But I have asked Christina to test Winnie the Pooh this week and the Grand Fiesta tour. We'll time it to see what happens. So we'll have a report on that uh, next week. Okay. Well, d- worth noting here that there's a a famous story about Walt Disney himself, who back in the late 50s, early 60s, it was one of these situations where. The one e-ticket in the park at that point was Jungle Cruise, and it, it had a long line. And so the skippers were really humping the boats through. And Walt yeah. got off the cruise one Sunday afternoon and found Dick Nunes, who was the area manager of Adventureland and Frontierland at the time, and climbed up one side of him and down the other to the effect of, look, I just went through the hippo pool, and I don't know if I saw hippos or rhinos. It was that fast, yeah. But Walt, we're trying to get you know get the line. Throughput, like Walt, throughput, yeah. <laughs> there we go. And Walt was like, look, they paid to come in here. They paid for a show. They, yeah. uh, we need a consistent show. And I get it. You know, you dial up at the speed of an attraction so you get more people through. But if you're going through Grand Fiesta and it's like, hey, <laughs> I only saw two of the three Caballeros. Exactly, okay. Yeah. <laughs> They've got six 150 horsepower Evan Roods in the back of the boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. We'll check on that then. All right. We'll see. Okay. All right. Uh, listener Kevin Dunn writes in with this question about. But Oga's Cantina. And Kevin says, I had friends visiting Walt Disney World, and they said that when they were in Oga's, a server told them they were no longer serve any drinks that use dry ice effects, and the dry ice machines have been removed. What happened? Is it temporary or permanent? It's a bummer because the drink effects really make the place special. So, uh, yeah, apparently uh, you're not supposed to eat dry ice, Kevin. That's the uh, the thing that I, that I heard in this. And anyone who's watched the Great British Baking Show knows the rule that says everything on your plate is supposed to be edible. So I think this is the case of someone, you know, uh, freezing the dry ice directly in their tongue and then mm-hmm. guest relations and Disney's legal department saying, let's not do this anymore. Anybody who's been to Moe's Tavern on the Fast that's Food That's universally completely different, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I want to know. Did, did, has somebody had a flaming Moe recently? Because they, they actually put the, the dry ice in first, and there's sort of a, like a sewer cover at the bottom of the, of the drink. <laughs> Jim, maybe, maybe not the visual that you want people imagining. Okay, that, but, <laughs> a a, but a yeah. small plastic grate. But yeah, I'd be intrigued to see if, if Universal has taken its dry ice effects off, uh, you know, off I, the table. You know, a couple weeks ago, they were still there. Uh, I was um, okay. when I was waiting for my Halloween Horror Nights experience a couple weeks ago. I was directly across from Moe's, which is where they mm-hmm. uh, they sort of gather people that they're kicking out of the park, and it's your last chance to grab food or beverages. So, uh, so yeah, then yeah, so we're still there. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right, uh, Sam Bennett wrote in with this question. Uh, he says, uh, "Len, I was giving your name uh, through a Reddit post where I was asking the Disney Parks community about something they said you might know, and I was like, oh God, what now?'" But Sam says, uh, I'm looking for the name and better yet, a high quality recording of a song that plays under John's monologue in the 1940s scene of the current version of Carousel of Progress at Walt Disney World. Nobody seems to know a thing and there's little to no information about it available to the public from what I've found. Some have said it's just a swing rendition of the main theme. So if that's true, then I guess that would be the name. 
But regardless, mm-hmm. the song is highly nostalgic for me, and I'd love to have a high-quality version to listen to you. If you have any leads, please let me know. All right, so I happen to be going to uh, the Buddy Baker archives anyway, so I checked mm-hmm. it out for Sam. There's actually an entire box in the Buddy Baker archives that's titled Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. But unfortunately, I did not find a reference to the uh, to the song. And uh, Buddy Baker's work on this was during the 1990s redo for uh, Interventions in Disneyland. So he, he had some original music in there, but a lot of it was adaptations for the, I believe it was Nathan Lane version. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Because that would have been for Interventions. The version was done at Disneyland uh, for the new, new Tomorrowland in, yeah. in 1998. Yeah. And I did find some cool stuff about that, including the very first pitch idea for it, which is kind of neat. So we'll talk about that on a separate show. Uh, so that's the bad news. Bad news is nothing in uh, the Buddy Baker archives about it. The good news was um, I was pretty sure it was a musical cue that someone came up with during the Carousel of Progress redo in the 1990s. Because as far as I could tell, the song doesn't appear in the original 1964 World's Fair audio. So that was a big hint. So I was talking it over with Laurel whose Google skills are apparently way better than mine because she found an official D23 page that explains the origin of the song. And the and, and Disney says it's this. It's uh, Imagineer Kevin Rafferty, who led the 1993 redo of the attraction, uh, says the music uh, is new. Uh, he said he worked with composer George Wilkins to deliver new musical arrangements. Uh, they made sure that they were in the styles of the eras, that each scene depicted. So the 1940s scene had a Glenn Miller vibe and, uh, and that was it. So, so it's an original music cue written around 1983 by George Wilkins for, uh, for Disney. There you go. Hmm. All right. And uh, Jim, this is for you. Uh, listener David Poole writes in, he says, uh, Jim, I saw you mentioned as quote, Disney expert, Jim Hill in my Walt Disney world magazine a couple months ago. I've never heard it mentioned in the podcast. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that you were recognized as such. Keep up the good shows. <laughs> Disney expert Jim Hill. I was just listening to the Buried Bones podcast, and there was a reference there dating back to a cold case to the effect of, you know, even if you're a whore and you live long enough, you become respectable. So, you know, the notion... <laughs> it's completely different. Yeah, I've been yeah. doing this long enough and babbling about the Disney parks, and I'm a Disney expert now. Wow! Woohoo! The way that I say it is, uh, look, uh, Henry Kissinger still hasn't been arrested, so, you know... <laughs> <laughs> There's still time, Glenn. <laughs> you know, just saying, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about Epcot's Wonders of Life Pavilion. All right, Jim, we're back. And we're talking about the original version of the Wonders of Life Pavilion, which was called, what, Life and Health? And I think this is interesting because... Um, this month is also the anniversary of the opening of The Making of Me, the Martin Short film. Likewise, uh, Body Wars also. And Body Wars, yeah. Which is, uh, I believe it opens in, like next week. October 30th is the anniversary, but yeah. There we go. There yeah. we go. But speaking of, of Body Wars, there's this great story that Jim Schull, our collaborator on the Disney Unpacked video series, tells. Uh, so picture this. December of 89, and the forward version of, of the original Star Tours has just opened. Mm-hmm. And so Jim Schull is standing at the exit of this then new attraction at Disney MGM, and he watches one family walk out, and he hears the teenage son turn to his parents and say, geez, that is not a new ride. That's a ripoff of Body Wars. <laughs> and it's like, if you're someone who f- only frequents Disney's parks in Florida, easy to see why you might have the opinion. Body Wars, as we just mentioned, uh, marquee 
attraction at, at Epcot Center's Wonders of Life attraction. First opened in public October 19th, 1989. Oh. 34 years to the day we're recording this week's show. On the 19th, yeah. So this is literally 34 years ago today when we're recording it. All right. Whereas the Florida version of Star Tours wouldn't open at Disney MGM till December 15th of that same year, some seven weeks and two days later. And oh. now, mind you, Oh, yeah. The actual original Star Tours, the one that opened at Disneyland Park in January of 87, some 23 months earlier, had predated the Florida version. But that didn't matter to this teenage boy. Yeah. He had been in a simulator rider at Disney Park that was very similar to another simulator that he'd written at a, another Disney theme park that was located just a mile or two away. Yeah, I can kind of see it, yeah. So again, if you're a teenage boy, that equals ripoff. Now, if the Imagineers had built the Life and Health Pavilion that they had originally wanted to build at Epcot in the Future World section, he would have had nothing to complain about because the marquee attraction for that version of Life and Health wouldn't have been a simulator attraction, but rather a dark ride. Uh, it would have been called The Incredible Journey Within. By the way, we actually have a description of this proposed attraction, which I pulled from a copy of Imagine News. That's the in-house newsletter for WDI and Mapo. Uh, and the issue I'm referencing here, Len, was originally published and distributed to Imagineers on December 17, 1982. So here we go. This dark ride will be titled The Incredible Journey Within, a thrilling ride in which guests are reduced in size to travel in an ultrasonic probe vehicle through the human body. Inside, they will see how our body, and this is in quotes, machines operate. Now, mind you, I shared the concept art for this with you, Len, a, a day or so ago. Yeah. And if you look at this thing, there's no ultrasonic probe vehicle. What they show here are guests seated in a ride vehicle that sort of looks like what you rode in for World of World Motion, motion. for yeah. passengers per vehicle. Only this rounded ride vehicle, it sort of looks like a blood cell. Oh, Jim, you can hear the listeners gagging already, the squeamish ones. <laughs> Well, the whole gimmick of this ride is we were supposed to take advantage of the circulatory system to, well, circulate around the human body. You know, all right. see all of the major systems in action. So, okay, I, I get it. The easiest way to do that is climb aboard a blood cell. This attraction was initially designed by one of Walt's favorite Imagineers, and that's Rolly Crump. Oh, okay. With an assist, by the way, for then by then new Imagineer Steve uh, Kirk. And Rolly did the, uh, he did like the gag parts of uh, Haunted Mansion, right? Oh, very much so. Okay. Very right. much so. Okay. But the real giveaway <laughs> that Rolly led, once led the team on this project, the, the thing that eventually became the Wonders of Life Pavilion, is when you entered the big golden dome that was the central space, so to speak, for the future pavilion. And you looked up, you saw dangling from the ceiling this huge mobile. And and oh, yeah. Rolly was was famous for his mobiles. In fact, that's initially what caught Walt's attention. Really? Yeah. Uh, Crump started at Disney Studios back in, in 1952. Initially, he was just an in-betweener and worked on classic Disney films like Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty. But and over time, he rises to the ranks. He becomes an assistant animator. But Rolly, when he wasn't animating, would decorate his office with all of these elaborate mobiles that he'd fashioned out of materials that he had in hand. So we're talking push pins, paper clips, and the sheets of paper, you know, with the, the three holes at the bottom that people actually used to animate on. 
because it was his studio. I mean, the name was on the outside. Yeah. Walt felt that he had the right, whenever all of his artists and animators went, had gone home for the day or, or were out of the building for the weekend, that he could wander through each and every office of the animation building and see what was actually going on. And yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, okay. I once got to talk with Frank Thomas, who told me how he's working on Peter Pan. He's he's the lead animator on on Captain Hook, mm -hmm. and he he draws a hook, and it's like eh, I don't know if I like that. Okay. He balls it up, he throws it in the trash. Okay, he comes back on Monday, and the same drawing has been fished out of the trash. It's been flattened and put back on his animation. Oh, see, I'd go desk. home. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm done here. Goodbye. is is janitorial trying to tell me something? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, it's Walt walking around the studio after hours with the family poodle uh, you know who, by the way I d didn't have the greatest bowel control so uh. there were other ways you'd know that Walt had been in your office uh. but anyway All right, okay. so Walt all right. begins visiting Rick Rowley's office because it's entertaining it's like look at all these mobiles and finally in 59 Walt goes in there one day and go, oh, man, I need a guy with a mind like this over at Imagineering. So he puts in a personnel transfer request for Rolly and is supposedly a temporary reassignment to WED. And, temporary. Know, Temporarily. Then, okay. So how long did this temporary assignment last? Rolly was consulting to the company you know, right up until we lost him earlier this year, 2023. Oh, so he only it was only temporary in the sense that 1959 to 2023 is, what, 40, 60, 60-some 60 years? Yeah, yeah, temporary. It starts to add up after a while. Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But anyway, he's, he's – in fact, you know Roldy's work because remember, we've done at this point a couple of events at Flushing Meadow for the 64 yeah. World's Fair – and what Rowley designed for that fair was the Tower of the Four Winds. It's 120 foot tall. Just to give you some idea of the different relationship that Rowley had with Walt, you know, very special relationship. So he designs the original model for Tower of the Four Winds. It's out of bits of paper and balsa wood. Sure. So it's light and airy looking. Sure. But it come, when it comes time for this structure to be built full size for the 64 World's Fair, the industrial engineers are, are looking at the wind reports about how the fast the winds are that come off of yeah, flushing. They're Bay. talking about wind shear and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. 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 So they really over design. It's a lot of big pieces of pipe. It, it's very sturdy looking. And so just prior to shipping the whole thing off to Flushing Meadows, Walt has it constructed in a, in a parking lot in Glendale. And he, he proudly brings Crump out and, you know, hey, what do you think? And yeah. Crump looks at this big, solid thing that's based on his cute little airy design. And he says, well, if I'm being honest here, Walt, I think it looks like a piece of crap. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, and Walt turns to Rolling and says, it can't be a, a piece of crap, Roland. I, I spent over $200,000 building this thing. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I like it. And so yeah. and he, he sends it off to Queens, and sure enough, it becomes one of the iconic structures at this, you know, 64, 65 World's Fair. It's, but It's one of those things, Jim, it's, it's like if I, if I wasn't scared about what I'd really find at the bottom of Flushing Bay – I would go look for that. Len's referring to the fact that the four shows that were at the fair that did come back and go to various Disney parks, a decision was made, again, because of the weight. Yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, we can't afford to haul that back to, to Anaheim or Glendale or whatever. So they broke out acetylene torches and effectively chopped it up into bits and pieces and then dumped it in Flushing Bay in the harbor there. 
along with how many Teamsters do you think are in You know, it, we, we don't know. And that's the thing. It, I, I would go looking for it in Flushing Bay, but I'm afraid about what I would find. So There we go. Anyway, there we go. All okay. Right. So anyway, we jump ahead now to the early 80s when uh, Rolly Crump and Steve Kirk are working on uh, Life and Health Pavilion. It's, it's kind of ironic that the giant mobile that Crump designed you know, for the interior is literally one of the only elements that, that Rolly himself designs that, that remains a part of the project when it opens in October of 89. And Roland first began working on a Life and Health Pavilion for Epcot Center in 1975. Wow. So the plan we're talking about today, the one from December of, of 1982, is already seven years in the making at this mm. point. So... Back in the early 80s, Epcot Center's uh, Life in Applevin was supposed to have one dark ride. Again, the journey through, you know, inner space, whatever. And then three theater shows. And the theater shows, first one was The Joy of Life. I guess we were supposed to see a film presentation that focused on the beauty and the wonder of the life cycle, using a theme that it's great to be alive at any age. And this 16-minute-long okay. movie, uh, Making of Me, uh, directed by Glenn Gordon Karen, yep. guy who, who created Moonlighting. <laughs> there, there's two things to put on your resume. <laughs> that show debuted in, in March of 85. It, it, it's back on Hulu now. <laughs> Just like well, this no, week. that's it exactly. Yeah. Just this week it yeah. came back. Yeah. And, and, but that shows you... That's Eisner. It's like, I want hot filmmakers, right, you know, yeah. or people who have hit TV shows to be doing stuff for the parks. I mean, it, it's also worth noting that when it came time to direct the ride film for Body Wars, that's Leonard Nimoy. Leonard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next thing, next theater show would have been The Head Trip. And you go into a theater at the the Life and Health Pavilion and you fi eventually find yourself facing three audio animatronic figures, which represent emotion, intellect and the nervous system. And this is largely what we got with Cranium Command, yeah, only... Yeah. We didn't get three animatronic figures. We got one. We got Buzzy, the yeah. pilot, so to speak. But John Lovitz is emotion. Yep. Charles Grodin is reason, intellect, yep. and showing this is a Michael Eisner project where you you cram in celebrities, you know, wherever you can. You know, you have George Went as the stomach. You yep. have Hans and Franz as the heart. And the final theater presentation in the early, early version of Life and Health was the Good Health Habit Show. And this was an inversion of Carousel of Progress. A guest would have come down and sat down and in front of them was a musical table, which would, there were three show scenes that would rotate. And every time the stage turned, there was a new animatronic figure revealed and yeah. who would then talk to the audience how when it came to good health, it's our own personal habits and behaviors that ultimately determine how long we live and how healthy we stay over the course of our lives. Wow. And yeah. This, of course, would eventually become the Goofy About Health show at Wonders of Life, which, yeah. by the way, Len, was the very first thing that Jim Shule worked on. It was. This This is like when I met Jim, this is what he said. He's like, well, I was like, what's the first thing you worked on? He's like, oh, I worked on Goofy About Health. I'm like, I remember that. Because remember, you used to be, you used to pedal and have to and go through, uh, um, there were like these little movies where you would pedal and it would show you going through a... Oh, no, no, like no, a, no, a, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the hands-on stuff oh, yeah. in the Wonders of Life Pavilion was amazing. But what's interesting about Goofy About Health is 
money was spent on creating a command. Money was spent on body wars. Mm -hmm. And certainly there was some money spent on the making of me. Whereas when it came to this third show, and given that MetLife, who had finally agreed, you know, that they had searched for years for somebody to be a sponsor, was like, look, we don't want to spend a lot of money on this. That's why the big public area in Wonders of Life is inside of a dome. Domes are cheap to build land. So now it comes to, okay, we need a third show. And Jim Chill comes through the door and he's been tapped to be the show designer, Barry Braverman's the producer and the hook. And all they had at this point, Len, was a concept that, you know, we'll pull footage from the old goofy shorts from the 40s and the 50s and cobble together a show where Goofy talks about the good habits folks would have. So here's Shul, you know, and he's got to look at all of the goofy shirts from the 40s and the 50s. And this is the early day of Walt Disney Home Entertainment. So the goofy shirts... A lot of them aren't on video yet. So Jim finds himself in a screening room on the Disney lot. And what he describes is like, well, you know, I begin watching these things. And it's like, well, you know, here's the thing. Goofy's really good about demonstrating what you shouldn't do. You know, he smoking, drinking, overeating. But there's very little that he can put together with health. So he finds himself sort of Frankensteining this show together. He'd have footage from one scene and then get a reaction shot from another movie and eventually oh. gets what he needs. And the whole concept of this thing was that you, you sat in a theater looking up at giant monitors that hung <laughs> down from the ceiling and watched video, yeah. you know, the, the continuous footage. And it's like, it said no flat screens. I mean, these things were huge and weighed a ton. And so, you know, you have to have all these meetings with safety about how securely is that monitor, well, you know. Not again, only that, I mean, you, you ever felt the heat that an old monitor gives off? I'm so glad you brought that up because Jim talked about meetings. And, and you're in a dome? <laughs> That's an exact had to meet with the industrial engineers to the effect of well, what sort of drag is this gonna put on the on the building's air conditioning system? And it just again the these great little bends on the story. And that's how we wound up with the pavilion that stayed open until January of two thousand seven. I mean, again, there's a part of me that just sort of feels sad when I read this again, this article from December of eighty two about, mm-hmm. you know, we lost that dark ride that took us through the human body. But I think <sighs> again, Len, you pointed out that people would have gotten a little barfy. And the other thing, to be honest, and I I remember talking with Marty Scalar about this one day, about the thing that they could never figure out was the gimmick of you're going through the body machine. And so at one point you had to go through a heart valve. And he talked about what we designed was a 30 foot tall heart valve that had to open and close in front of every single ride vehicle. Do you know how much force that, that involves? That's it. Exactly. The physics on, on moving something 30 feet tall is, is daunting. Yeah. So again, when you you understand why ultimately when the simulator technology came around and it's like, oh, let's go with that. And not only that, let's go with this ultrasonic probe idea. That's how we wound up with the Wonders of Life Pavilion, which I, as I, I mentioned, ultimately closed in January of 2007, would periodically reopen as I think the term they use is festival space. Festival center, yeah. Yeah, for uh, food and wine and flower and garden for a while, yeah. And then we got the play pavilion, which we never actually got, which 
We won't talk about that today. The one thing I, you know, the one of the things I missed from Wonders of Life, be, besides the the attractions were a lot of fun, was, you know, just think of like all the taglines you could have added in the last twenty years. Now that people are more conscious about health, like like the meme around uh, mitochondria being the powerhouse of the cell. Like, imagine how much merch Disney could have sold just on that in the last decade, you know? No doubt. No doubt. It's a ton of space, too. And, and you know that Disney keeps revisiting it because, again, they did the Play Pavilion, which, you know, never worked out. But they're still maintaining the building. Like, they, they've, in the last couple of years, they they've redone are. the roof. They yeah. are. Yeah. It's just kind of intriguing. You, you know, given how valuable real estate is in that park, that they will eventually circle around to this idea yeah, what, I, what I'm hoping is is that it becomes part of like a, a multi-step process where like they need to fix the Imagination Pavilion. But before they do that, they need the capacity at Wonders of Life to divert people from it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Fantastic. All right. Fun show. And I love that we uh, finally got to work in the uh, the story about uh, Jim Schull and Goofy about health because that was one of the, the best things that, he, that he's, he told us. It was one of the first things he told us too. There you go. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at patreon.com slash Jim Hill Media. And we're also posting brand new exclusive shows there about Spectrum Magic and on Disneyland's Robin Hood Castle, which you're going to have to listen to to find out more. Plus our new behind-the-scenes videos with Imagineer Jim Scholl, who created the Aladdin attractions for Disney's theme parks all around the world. That's our first show. On next week's show, Jim shows us how limited-time park Activities like Tiana's Showboat Jubilee are complex bargaining efforts between different factions within the Disney company. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, lenditouringplans.com. One more quick promotional thing. Jim and I are going to be doing a live podcast from the Theme Park Play Workshop at MIT's Game Lab at 6.30 p.m. on Thursday, November 9th, 2023 at the Stata Center. That's room 32155. It's free and it's open to the general public. Jim, the last time I was on MIT's campus, I was delivering an extra large with cheese. So this is a real treat. <laughs> oh, very cool. All right. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be spinning yarns and tall tales at the Nebraska Storytelling Festival on Thursday, November 2nd, 2023, from 7 to 10 p.m. at the Jasmine Room by venue on North 10th Street in beautiful downtown Lincoln, Nebraska. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.